0: Welcome to episode 115 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is the Objects to Observe in the May 2021 night sky. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. Shane, this is our one-year anniversary of doing the uh, Objects to Observe episode.
1: Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, these are, this this episode is one of our most popular. It, it, you know, A lot of listeners uh, play this one. And, you know, I, I, I kind of enjoy doing it too. It helps me organize, uh, my upcoming, uh, observing plans. So I like it.
0: Yeah. So, uh, let's just reflect for, for a moment and, uh, maybe I'll just ask you, uh, what was your, uh, favorite observation or maybe some of your favorite observations from, uh, from the past
1: year? Well, uh, the Mars opposition, like there is a number of observations that I had of Mars and, uh, you know, to say, uh i'll just group them all together and say the mars observations were pretty high on my list um and then the other one was comet neowise um yeah you know that that comet was pretty incredible you never know uh, like that might be the brightest comet that we have for the next 20 years where <laughs> they're just so unpredictable um so you know when a big bright comet comes like that you just have to get out there and observe it and it's pretty amazing yeah um you know and maybe the third one i'll give you my top 3 would be the noctilucent cloud observing that we got into last year around uh, this time, you know, kicking right. off here, which we'll talk about. Um, I did add it to the show notes. Um, yeah, uh, the third week of May is is the kind of the beginning of noctilucent cloud season, so um, that's yeah. exciting too.
0: Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I I think uh, you know, particularly one of those nights, uh, I had observing uh, Mars, and I, I was able to to run over a power. Um, mm-hmm. typically I only can run up about a hundred power here, but I was able to run 350 power on my, uh, hundred millimeter telescope and, uh, and the views were so good. Uh, Mike drove across town and, and came and, uh, and, and verified those views. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, the, the views of, of Comet Neowise and, and I was able to, uh, to get to one of the darkest sites, uh, uh, to observe it and did, did lots of sketching and, uh yeah that that night we were actually able to uh, observe the red spot on Jupiter as well sort of uh and that was using uh, an eyepiece I, I'd borrowed from you so uh you know uh, that that was a great evening the evening where, where I was sort of able to to observe neowise and then uh, and then Jupiter and, and the great red spot and then a little bit of Saturn and a little bit of Mars that night as well just having having all these planets and then uh the comet and the sky together was uh was really great.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and it's kind of funny in mentioning these great observations. We also did not mention one of the biggest ones of the year, which was the uh, the December twenty first conjunction between uh, Jupiter and Saturn. You know, that that was another pretty incredible
0: observation. Sure. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it did have a, a, a that night. I just barely had a view of it, and then uh, the clouds had had moved in from your direction. So I'll, I'll kind of blame you on that one. Um, but coming up this month, we actually have a a close approach of Mercury and Venus, um, oh. yeah, not quite as good as the as the uh, great conjunction we had back in December. Um, but this this is going to be uh, an, an interesting uh, thing for people to go and take a look at.
1: Cool. Well, let's get into it.
0: Yeah. Also have a lunar eclipse this month, but uh, let's start with the planets. Um, going to have uh, Mercury starting the month in Taurus, and it's going to appear as a very early evening object at at the start of the month, and it reaches its greatest eastern elongation, but that means you're you're looking into the western sky. It's a little bit confusing, eastern elongation, it's in the western sky, but anyway, it's an evening sky object to look at, and uh, it's about as far as it gets from the sun on May 17th, and this is going to present the best evening opportunity for those of us who live in the northern hemisphere uh, to take a look at it uh, in the evening sky in, in 2021. So Shane, here's your opportunity to take, uh, take a look at Mercury.
1: Yeah, I've seen it uh, a few times in the past and, uh, if the weather cooperates, um, I have a really good spot that that's, you know, pretty much right to the horizon looking West. So, um, mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll definitely take an, or I'll try if, uh, it's not cloudy around that time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to leave, i have to leave the house to, uh, to get a view. I can just uh, drive out the fields and and take a peek at it. Um, when it's an evening object, when it's in the morning sky, I can just view it from my backyard because, uh, I have almost a, an, an unobstructed uh, view of uh, very light polluted skies, but, uh, but an unobstructed view uh, from, from my backyard to, to the East. But, but for these evening ones, yeah, I have to have to go for a bit of a jaunt. All right. So Venus, um, Venus is also in Taurus and it remains, uh, low, uh, but will be, uh, Probably best to to try to hunt it up in binoculars. Of course, you gotta you gotta be careful whenever you're you're looking at Venus and Mercury. Um, you want to wait until the uh, the sun is below the horizon. Um, you know, so typically that that's what people are going to do for these kind of uh, events anyway. And then uh, you know, and then start scanning uh, for them with uh, with the binoculars. But it's gonna Venus is going to pair up with the moon and Mercury uh, later this month. Um, then over in the morning sky, we have, uh, Jupiter and Saturn. Uh, so Jupiter is, uh, is in the morning and it uh, crosses into, uh, Aquarius. Um, and then Saturn, uh, is, is in, in Capricorn. So Saturn's now high enough that, uh, it's emerged out of the gunk. So, um, probably towards the end of the month, uh, can really start some telescopic observations of Saturn. Right on. Yeah, Uranus, and Neptune. Don't look for them this month. They're right by the sun,
1: so they're not.
0: Yeah, you're not really going to be going to be seen. They they might be, you know, I guess theoretically visible at certain patient times and that sort of thing. But uh, they're not going to be worthwhile. um, Take a look at. But um, starting on May first, now we're already uh, past May first, and Mercury and Venus uh, start start to pair up. Uh, But on on the third which is, uh, which is tomorrow. And I know this is, this is going to come out in a, in a few days. Um, but on the third, um, we're going to have, uh, Saturn and the moon together in the morning sky. And then on the, and then on the fourth, we're going to have Jupiter in the moon. So both times, well, I guess Saturn and the moon are, are a little bit closer. They're going to be about four degrees apart. Jupiter and the moon are going to be about five degrees apart. Um, and basically from anywhere in North America, they're not going to be separated by more than about eight degrees. So if you have a good wide field pair of binoculars and you get up in the morning, uh, you're going to be able to see the moon uh, paired with uh, with one of the planets uh, on each of those mornings. So there you go. Shane, I think your binoculars are about five degrees, so maybe you can take a look at those.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I have uh, I do have some wider field ones as well. Um, and. My little 61-millimeter telescope with a 41-millimeter panoptic would give me well, just a hair under that eight degrees. Um, so, you know, definitely have a few tools uh, at my fingertips. Cool.
0: Excellent. May 5th, uh, sort of the evening of, of the May 5th or, or after midnight on, on May 5th, getting into May 6th, we'll have the Eta Aquarian meter shower peaking. And so this one, uh, this one is probably going to be best between uh, midnight and about 3 a.m. The moon starts coming up about 3 a.m. I think we're seeing that in the last episode uh, anyway, but uh, that's going to be the best time to, to go and take a look at the Eta Aquarids. And uh, I think that the Southern Hemisphere is a little, bo- a little bit more favorable, um, but I think, I think even for the Northern Hemisphere, you can get a couple dozen uh, meteors an hour, and you want to look sort of towards the uh, south, uh, Southeast. Um, if you're up af- after midnight, and uh, and that's really all, all that you need to do. Uh, you know, if you know where Aquarius is, um, that's a fall constellation, autumn constellation. But that's what's coming up into the morning sky these days. And then um, that's where the radiant is, and that's the point uh, where the meteors seem to uh, come from in the sky. They seem to emanate from the constellation of Aquarius. Uh, but they'll they'll streak for a good long ways. And so generally, if you're looking. Uh, towards sort of like the east, uh, southeast, then, uh, you know, you, you're going to definitely see some meteors there.
1: Mm-hmm. And what's neat about this meteor shower is, um, I think most people are probably familiar with Halley's Comet, um, or at least people our age, and, you know, <laughs> around their 40s. Um, so this is this uh, meteor, sh- uh, I can't talk today. Um, this, uh, this event is um, caused by the, the leftovers of Halley's Comet. Um, which is kind of mm-hmm. neat, and then the other thing that the Eta Aquarids are known for is uh, they, they're they're very swift meteors. Um, so they travel at about 150,000 miles per hour into Earth's atmosphere. Um, so they they do streak faster than maybe some of the other meteor showers. Um, so this one has some interesting
0: characteristics uh, to be aware of. Yeah, yeah, right on. Um, You're going to try to observe this one.
1: No, probably not. Um, you know, when it comes to meteor showers, uh, if if everything works out that I'm out observing with my telescope and there's a meteor shower, that's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. But I rarely make uh, the effort just to go observe meteors,
0: yeah. i might I may try to get up and and go out and take a look just for fun, <laughs> yeah, well, and and you know the neat thing, like with
1: fast meteors, um, like sometimes you'll see a meteor and it leaves like a little bit of a glow trail behind for a few seconds. Uh, fast meteors have a, a, a greater likelihood of doing that. So Mm -hmm. this, uh, this, this, this shower has the potential to be kind of pretty, uh, because of the, the fast moving meteors.
0: Yeah. Sounds good. On, uh, on May 11th, that's when we have the new moon. That's when we Mm -hmm. get to go dark sky observing. So, Mm -hmm. um, we have to take the opportunity now. Like this is, this is when, uh, for those of us that, that are living, um, you know, uh, up in Canada anyway, um, we, we got to get out and start enjoying the dark skies because uh, next month we uh, we don't have dark skies, uh, so we lose them for about uh, five weeks at least from from where we live.
1: Yeah, and and it's a favorable position on the calendar, being it's earlier in May. Um, sometimes the new moon can be towards the end of May and uh you know you'll just lose a little bit more of that dark sky because the sun sets later and rises earlier so because this is early in may this is you know a favorable new moon for this time of the year
0: yeah yeah it should be should be good um got a couple of days off around the new moon there so hopefully uh hopefully we, we can get out uh observing yeah really looking forward to it yeah especially now that uh, uh many of us are getting vaccinated up and uh you know can start uh you know hopefully uh observing together in the near future.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Should be good. May 12th. Now this uh, is when Venus and the moon pair up. So on May 12th, Venus is going to be just 0. 0.7 degrees north of a very thin crescent moon. And from New Zealand, I don't know if we have any listeners in New Zealand or Eastern Polynesia. And uh, I don't know if anybody lives on Easter Island, but if somebody is, let us know.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's inhabited.
0: Is it? Okay. I yeah. just thought that was the giant stone heads. Um, but let's see the moon, uh, may, uh, may go in front of Venus that night, depending on where you are and the time and that. So I don't know the times here for the locations. Um, but if you're in that general zone, um, just after sunset, uh, t- take a look and, and you should see them get extremely close. If not, uh, the moon may in fact, uh, actually pass in front of Venus for a, uh, for an occultation.
1: Well, and I think the moon... That night is exceptionally thin, like less than a degree. Um, like it it will be uh it, it might even be hard to spot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it could be. But on the 13th, you get another opportunity. They're not quite as close. And I don't know that there's there's any sort of occultation alert for this one, probably not. Um, but on May 13th, the moon and the waxing moon, now a nice thin crescent that's actually probably visible. Uh, like you were saying, that's a very thin, like I think it's like you said, like around a one percent illuminated moon uh a few nights before but on on may 13th uh the waxing moon and mercury are just going to be about two degrees apart so that's uh you know within the realm like of small telescopes with wide field eyepieces uh, definitely be able to see the moon and mercury uh together in, in the same uh, in the same eyepiece that would be pretty cool definitely going to try for that one shane
1: yeah yeah that's a neat opportunity
0: yeah, it should be pretty cool. And then, uh, you know, of course, uh, it can be difficult to see uh, surface detail on Mercury, but kind uh, of on, on that night, what I'm hoping to do is uh, is to kind of go back and forth a little bit uh, between the two and, and see if I can tease out some, some Mercury in detail. I've been able to do that fast through my uh, four-inch telescope. So moving ahead on May 15th, here we have the Moon and Mars pairing up in uh, in a slightly darker evening sky. Like now we have a pretty good crescent moon. And uh, I didn't put how close they are, but they look pretty close in my, uh, in my little screenshot here. So anyway, uh, moon and Mars on May 15th. So it's a great opportunity to actually follow the moon through the evening sky um, in the middle of May and be able to see as it pairs up uh, with several of the planets. Very cool, especially through binoculars. People have binoculars that should go for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's super cool when when the solar system objects align this close. Um it makes for a real interesting view.
0: Yeah. Now, this is sort of one of the one of the main events for the month is this May 17th, uh Mercury is uh, is going to be at greatest eastern elongation, meaning that it's going to be a it's going to be at its highest point in our western evening sky. Um so you look towards the west after sunset. Mercury is going to be nice and high up. It's, uh, it's over 22 degrees from the sun. So over two fists from the sun. So when the sun sets, you're going to look about probably once it's dark enough, about a fist and a half, um, at arm's length, will give you just like your regular hand made into a fist at arm's length will be about 10 degrees. And then, uh, so you're going to need about, uh, uh, one and a half or two of those, uh, above your, uh, above your Western horizon, uh, to see, uh, to see Mercury. So, um, that position is going to make a, a great opportunity um, for those of us with telescopes to maybe uh, get some good views. And then just below it, we're going to see um, Venus coming up. So they're they're going to pair up here uh, towards the uh, towards the very end of the month and give us uh, give us a pretty good show. But but they are starting to pair up. I think at that on that night they're about nine degrees uh, apart. But that uh, that quickly closes. So that kind of that kind of show is going to replicate. In, in a way, what we saw uh, Jupiter and Saturn uh, back in December. But uh, of course, it'll, it'll be warmer and they're lower on the horizon, unfortunately. So it's a, it's a bit of a tougher thing uh, to catch. Now, on the 19th, we have the first quarter moon. So I always like to, you know, one thing I've been doing more and more in my courses, Shane, is, is, uh, is trying to convince people that, that haven't um, used binoculars in the night sky before to actually go out. And take their binoculars and uh, and take a look at the first quarter moon uh, through their binoculars. They don't need to know all the craters and that. But uh, do you spend much time looking at the moon with your binoculars? Um, not a lot of time. But
1: it when I do put my binoculars on the moon, it blows me away with how much more detail you can see just with binoculars. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. wouldn't think that. Uh, you know, even modest binoculars like seven by thirty fives uh, will start to show crater detail and and really bring the moon alive in terms of uh, the contrasted features and almost some of the three dimensional uh, characteristics. You know that that the topography uh, presents during you know various phases.
0: Yeah, no, so that's a great opportunity. May nineteenth, first quarter moon. Uh, dig out those old binoculars. Um, you don't need necessarily a telescope to start doing astronomy and. Uh, yeah just doing what we can here to uh to convince people maybe maybe to go out and and try things but uh yeah, it was far too long, far too long between when i when I was uh, uh, a younger person and getting interested in in space and astronomy and actually taking binoculars to look uh, to look at the nighttime sky. it's something that never ever occurred to me in all the times I played with binoculars at friends' homes or or my grandparents always had binoculars kicking around. I was always You know, scanning the horizon, looking for boats, looking for, you know, whales, like whatever, um, as I kind of panned around and then, (laughs) you know, never did I ever think of turning those binoculars to the sky. And then once I did, I was uh, astounded, um, that, you know, you can see craters on the moon with, with just a simple pair of binoculars. It's something that many people just haven't thought of. I know I never did until I read a book on astronomy.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good comment. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, especially for people maybe new to astronomy is the moon is the easiest thing to find in the night sky. So, um, you know, using binoculars on it just makes a, a lot of sense, especially if you've never done it before. Uh, you will be amazed.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what about uh, what about May 24th, Shane? What are we going on that night?
1: Uh, the last week of May marks the beginning of noctilucent cloud season. Mm-hmm. Um, so noctilucent clouds, you and I talked a lot about these uh, 12 months ago on this podcast, multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, noctilucent clouds is kind of an interesting phenomena where um, there's still research being done to really understand the formation of these, you know, how they evolve and when will they appear. But what they are is... Clouds that are illuminated after sunset, and it's a it's a real strange thing to see, and it's all, I think it's even harder to explain it. Um, the best thing to do would be just to uh, do an internet search on noctilucent clouds. But anyway, what you do is um, starting towards the end of May and then going into June. June's probably the peak season, although people report mm-hmm. seeing these uh, even early August. So you know, pretty much the the heart of the summer, you'll you. Have opportunities to see these things, but what you do uh, about ninety minutes after sunset, you look north, northwest, and what you may mm-hmm. see is it, it'll just look like clouds. You may not even really realize it's anything of significance because it it's clouds um, that are kind of white and, and illuminated. But then you'll realize that it's dark, it's sunset, and there's there's no sunlight. So what is happening is because it's um, the time of the year where we're getting into, um, the, the shortest day where, you know, the, the sun really doesn't set for very long. What the sun is doing is it's just underneath the horizon as it's kind of transitioning to the Eastern sky. Well, it's not transitioning We're you know, we're rotating obviously. Um, but what, it, what it presents is an angle so that the sunlight, while we can't see the sun cause it has set, it's able to illuminate some real high-altitude clouds, these noctilucent clouds, and uh, they're, they're beautiful. Um, the, some photographs of them are, are really mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I kind of did by chance last year, which was it was kind of eerie, was uh, the sun had set, and I was just watching the northern sky, and it was a beautiful blue sky. And then these noctilucent clouds just slowly started to form and it was almost like ghosts appearing because I couldn't see any clouds there. And then, you know, it was just a beautiful, clear sky. And then all of a sudden these noctilucent started to get brighter and brighter and put on a, a little bit of a display. So they're quite neat to see if you've never seen them. And, uh, you know, it, it's something to add to your list of things to be aware of towards end.
0: Yeah. First time I saw them, I was uh, flying over the North Atlantic, going to Europe. And it was, it was, uh, an overnight flight and, uh, and my, m- my spouse was asleep and, uh, everybody else in the plane was asleep and I don't sleep while well on planes and I was pretty bored. It, you know, I didn't want to have my TV. I think they were encouraging us not to have the TV on because most people were asleep and couldn't really have a light on. Cause again, most people were trying to sleep around me. And, uh, so I had the, had the window like sort of half open or maybe a third open. and uh, and suddenly I noticed how bright it was getting, um, coming in the window. And I looked out and we were flying along now. I think the knock loose and clouds were higher than us, but you could see them. And so I'm watching these. And, uh, so I, I, think I ended up waking, uh, waking my wife up. You gotta see these. And so she was like, they're clouds and we went back to sleep. And then, then, uh, one of the flight attendants came by and, and they were like, you should shut your window. I'm like, no, no. I'm like looking at these things. <laughs> So, and it wasn't really disturbing anybody else because that was you know we, we sort of had our own row and that sort of thing. so had had my first view that way. um you do have to be typically you have to be a little bit further north, so where, where I'm originally from, it it's you know cloudy most of the time and then um or a lot of the time anyway, and then uh and then as well, not quite uh, far enough north uh to see them. but I think really once you get um to about uh forty seven or forty eight degrees north latitude that's, that's when you really begin to, to see these noctilucent clouds. Yeah.
1: Good, good point about the latitude. Uh, unfortunately, you know, people that are in that Southern kind of or or middle equatorial belt probably won't be able to see it. Unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's the way it goes. Uh, one of the few advantages of living this, this far North this time of year, we we don't get the dark skies or if we do there, those dark nights are not very long. Um, not really a Herculean task to say I stayed up all night observing because that was only maybe a couple hours at most. So, yeah, it's sort of one of those things. So, anyway, moving ahead, on May 26th, we have a lunar eclipse for some. Yeah, and a, which is exciting. And a super… Supermoon for others.
1: <laughs> and not just any supermoon, Chris. This is the superest of the supermoons.
0: Oh, is it twenty one? Yeah, it's the oh.
1: it's the largest and brightest supermoon of 2021.
0: So I think we've already had three or four supermoons this year already. And and I think that the, the whole term of, of a supermoon, I think I think um it's become overgeneralized. And it seems like every other moon is a supermoon. So so typically um, what happens is is that um, the moon is, it, you know, it goes through these close approaches and these far approaches, and then sometimes it will be full when it's at a near approach and sometimes it will be full when, it, when, it's, uh, when it's farthest away from us. And, um, and now originally when they started talking about these super moons, I think was just when it was, was very close to that nearest point to us and it happened to be full, but now it just seems like when it's more than halfway uh, between the two, it's being labeled as as a supermoon because it just seems like uh, every other month is a supermoon now
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it does seem very common especially lately
0: yeah yeah no for sure but i think uh now for uh for, for these for the supermoon uh eclipse moon we have uh japan australia and uh eastern asia favored for for this event
1: yeah, and, and the, uh, the lunar eclipses are, are really cool, um, but the, what, what's unique about them is how red the moon will get. Um, it's hard to predict, and sometimes during a lunar eclipse, it'll be varying shades of red, so sometimes it turns into a really dark uh, lunar eclipse and sometimes not so much, um, so that kind of adds to the intrigue of, of these events.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So moving on. Um, so people can try to take a look for that. Um, if they are, if they are able to see it, uh, what they'll see is that, uh, the sunlight is passing through, um, the earth's atmosphere as the earth moves between, um, the moon and the sun. And then, uh, the, the light passing through the earth's atmosphere is kind of like all of the sunsets on the earth are accumulating and landing on the, uh, Landing on on the moon at the same time. So moving on, we have the uh, the May 29th approach of Venus and Mercury. So on these nights, Venus and Mercury uh, are going to be getting very close. Towards the end of May, uh, we have Mercury just four degrees south of Venus. Uh, this is going to be in the west, just after sunset. They're going to get really close um, together in the sky. And then eventually, uh, the, you know, the sky is just going to be getting so bright and they're going get, to be getting so close to the horizon that, uh, you know, that, that they're going to become invisible again. Um, but during those last few days of the month, uh, it's going to be a good opportunity to see Venus and Mercury both together in the nighttime sky. On May 31st, Saturn and the moon are going to be just four degrees apart in the morning sky. And just like how we started the month, but now the sky is going to be much darker because um, Saturn has has moved along and, and we've moved along our track in the solar system. So when they pair up and Saturn and the moon will be just four degrees apart, um, they're actually going to be a, a, an easier sight to see uh, because the sky will, will still be uh, a little bit dark at that time. And then uh, a lot of people have been talking about auroras in the evening sky and and seeing them, I, I certainly saw them when uh, when I get out uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, certainly, there's been some great aurora events, and as we go into the spring, we're going to have uh, hopefully some some even better uh, opportunities to to see some aurora uh, as the sun uh, becomes more active uh, during this part of its cycle. Now, going back to the uh, to the stars, um, one of the things that that we chatted about with. Uh, an interview we did with uh, AAVSO uh, director Stella Kafka, Dr. Stella Kafka, a couple of weeks ago, was uh, we chatted about the, the featured stars uh, each month the AAVSO uh, is putting out. They, they do these great little videos. If you go to aavso.org, you can see a video on this. But this month's featured star is uh, V Hydra. And this is a star in the constellation of Hydra, the sea snake. And you can find this star. It's a cool star. It's a it's a little red star that you can find just about five degrees south of New Hydre, and so if you just uh, get a star chart or, or Google New Hydre, um, and typically binocular fields of view are about five degrees or more, and you drop down about that binocular field uh, just below New Hydre, you'll find this red star. Now it's a pulsating uh, semi-variable star, it goes through these. Uh, these pulsations of about 500 days. And then I think there's a longer cycle of of 18 years, they say. Um, And they hypothesize that this is caused by a disk of material that's in orbit around the hydrae. So just to close, um, just sort of an update on on Comet uh, R4. Um, There's a great Sky and Telescope article this month, uh, or at least, uh, I guess, from the past month on uh, on this comet and other comets that are that are coming up in the future and uh our 4 comet atlas uh remains around ninth magnitude as it moves into canis Venatici, which is just below the uh the handle of the big dipper so there's not many other uh comets that are uh appearing as bright we've we've got a few that that might uh might brighten up to around uh, ninth magnitude tenth magnitude uh as we move uh throughout the year. But, uh, but right now, uh, the best bet to see a comet is, is R4 and it's, and it's hanging out just a little bit brighter than 10th magnitude, which means uh, probably like double scopes that are, uh, about eight inches and larger, probably going to be the best bet uh, for a successful, uh, comet hunt for, for a comet this time of year. Okay. Well, I think that just about does it for the show and, yeah. uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap it up and, uh, thank everybody for listening.